Uh, Jenna and Grayson are handing out to you a little um, review sheet that you all have. We've been going through a book written by Philip Keller called Lessons from a Sheepdog. And, and rather than me going through every week and explaining what happened the week before, especially for those that weren't able to be here the week before, there's a little lesson, a little lesson review sheet that's being handed out. And uh, this has the first four lessons on it. We're in lesson five today, and uh, hopefully we'll maybe have another week or two max, and then we'll move on. But I, I, I hope that this has been effective for you. I, I don't want to bore you with a, reading a little book and going through this thing, but I'll tell you what, there are such powerful lessons that we learn from this, um, this dog and from this, this shepherd, this sheep herder. And uh, it just is so powerful that I just think it's worth going through. Just uh, to review for those quickly, uh, Lass is a Border Collie. She was a rescued dog. She was in the wrong hands in the first week. She was in a city, which is not her proper place to be. She's supposed to be on a ranch. She's supposed to be working. She's supposed to be tending sheep. And uh, so the first lesson was how she was rescued, like how we were rescued by Jesus. We were in the wrong hands. We were in Satan's hands. We were in the wrong place. We were not where God had intended us to be. And Jesus rescued us. Amen? How many here have been rescued by Jesus this morning? Raise your hand. How many know what it's like to be rescued by a rescuer? Amen? Amen. What a blessing that is. And then lesson two came that we were to set free. And set free to do what? Set free to follow. Not set free to do your own thing. Not set free so that you could live your own life and do it my way as the song goes, but to set free, what it really means to to be set free is to be living within godly boundaries, to know what it is that God wants you to do and then have the freedom to live that way. That is freedom. That is freedom without regret. That is freedom that you will never regret one thing you've done now or forever. That is freedom. Amen? And then lesson three, we had to learn to trust. She had a new master. And this new master came into her life with a new idea, a new set of plans, a new set of ideas. And Lass had to learn to trust her new master. Like we need to learn to trust Jesus. And what's so important about this that we learned in that lesson is that as we learn to trust God, which is a requirement, by the way, You have to learn to trust God. And as we do that, we understand that God will restore to us all the things that have been taken from us when we were in the wrong hands. He will restore to us the years that the locusts have eaten. And He will give us a new hope, a new refreshment, a new place of standing. And not only that, but He will, as I learn to trust Him, He learns to trust me. He learns to trust me with many, many blessings. That's when God is allowed to work in us. As we learn to trust Him, He then learns to trust us. And the more we trust God, the more He can trust us. Amen? That's a good thing. And then lesson four also, we, we learned about the delight of being obedient. God delights in blessing His children. He has promises for us. He has gifts for us. And for those that obey, God has blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Forever and eternity will last. We'll never outlive God's blessings. 
So for living for us, for living a life of obedience, it's not difficult. It's not hard. It's not cumbersome. It's not a burden. It's a delight. When I learn to obey God, and when I understand that His things for me and His, His lessons for, for me set me free, give me blessings, it is a delight. And this morning we're going to learn the fifth lesson, and that is the test of faithfulness. There is a test coming our way. And as we spend time with the Lord, and as we develop a relationship with our new master, there are tests that come our way. There are tests of faithfulness that come our way. And you need to be aware of that. You don't need to go into Christianity thinking that it's all going to be roses and easy, because that's not life. Life is going to come with difficulties. Amen? Anybody here not experienced the difficulty? Anybody here have been, been spared so far from, from having any problems in your life? No, we all have problems with our life. I don't care how young or how old we are. They're going to come. But God is there for us, and we're going to learn about his test of faithfulness today. So I want to pick up in our story. And it says here, during our working years together, several problem areas began to appear in Lass's behavior. In a strange way, one of her greatest strengths became her greatest weakness. Now I want to stop here for a minute. Because this is so common true among all of us as well. So often, our greatest strength becomes our greatest weakness. Now we all have natural gifts that seem to dominate our personalities, don't we? You all have giftings that, are co- that come to you, and that gifting, the strength of your gifting, the thing that's strongest in you, typically dominates your personality. Now, you may have some other underlying gifts as well. I know most of us have, probably have taken these, these temperament tests, and you can be a driver-driver, or you can be a lion or a lamb, or a, what is it, a lion, a beaver, an otter, and a retriever, all right? And, and typically, those are the, in this particular test, you're one of those four dominantly, but yet you may, have, you may be a lion with a little otter in you, or you may be a retriever with a little bit of a beaver in you. And they're different things. I'm not going to go into that today, but, but the fact is, though, we have dominant personality traits. And when we allow the dominant one to always be the one, then we're basically a single-string banjo. And that gets a little annoying all the time when you hear the single string all the time. We need to have five strings. We need to pick the five strings. If a good banjo player, he's picking all five strings, isn't he? He's not picking just one. He's not just plucking the same string all the time. He's, he's playing all five. And what he does, it's a beautiful sound. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be, yes, we have strengths, but so many times our strength becomes our weakness. Because that's all we concentrate on and that's all we focus on. And what God is trying to say is, I have you set up as a multifaceted person. We are created in the image of God. And God is multifaceted. He has many, many characteristics that are all good. And we as well as Christian people are to be operating in our good characteristics. So that we're, we are to avoid falling into the trap of our common strength. And what happens here? When we do this, we get very comfortable in our strength. We get very comfortable doing what comes easy to us. It's not bad. But sometimes God is saying, I really need you to get out of that. 
I need you to move on. I need you to grow. I need you to allow your life to expand. So often we get into situations in churches, in our personal lives, that we get very comfortable in our comfort zone. Not that that's bad, but that's not really effective either. God wants us to move out. He wants us to expand. We have to avoid the trap of saying we've always done it this way, therefore this is all we're going to do. We're never going to allow the Lord to move any differently in our lives because we've always done it this way. That's where your strength becomes your weakness. You know, there's nothing, I don't think, more encouraging than to see an older Christian get excited for Jesus. An older Christian get excited for Jesus. Now, we see the youth and we think that's awesome. That is great. But, you know, when older folks that have been a living a Christian life all their life this way, when they get a new revelation, when they get a new inspiration, when the Lord touches them maybe a little differently than he's ever touched them before and they're bold enough to let their lives show it, that is revelational and transformational change. And we all can have that. I need that in my life. I don't want to let my strength become my biggest weakness. Do you? then we need to allow our hearts to be open and we need to be looking for change. And we need to do, as it says in John 3.30, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. And when I allow the Lord to increase, continue to increase in my life, I allow Him to continue to increase and I decrease, that is where the Lord wants to have me. That is where I can be an effective co-laborer with Christ. But I must in, he, I must decrease and I must allow him to increase in my life. So let's continue. So it can be understood why the one command which last found most difficult to carry out was this one command. Stay. The test of faithfulness. Stay. This explicit word meant for her to remain steady wherever she was placed. At such, at such times it meant I might ask her to guard an open gate, or she might be expected to hold a small band of ewes in a corner while I checked out their lambs. Or it might have been in a dozen of any other little tasks that demanded her to be steadfast, alert, on guard while I was busy about other duties. Lass often felt she was missing out on the action in these situations. If I disappeared from her view, she was sure she had been forgotten. She would become uneasy, begin to move about then take off in search of me. Let me tell you something this morning, folks. God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about you no matter where you're at. You may not be in the most exciting time of your life right now. You may be in one of those guarding times where you're guarding a pen. And you may think, Lord, where are you? Where are you? You've placed me here and you went off someplace else. Did you forget about me? Did you forget that I'm here, Lord? Where are you, Lord? And he's telling you, I haven't forgot about you. I'm just asking you to stay. Let me tell you a little story. When I was four years old or so, and I told this to my wife and she said, that'd be child abuse today. But when I was four years old, I was less than five because we were still living on a farm. And uh, we had some cattle, cows, and uh, we had a corral right there by the barn. And, and apparently some of the cows had gotten out of the barn. And um, so the, my mom and dad and my sisters 
the hired hand, Floyd, was there. And so their job was to get the cattle, get the cows. I think they were calves. I don't remember. I was just a boy. But I had a very, respons- very important responsibility in this because my dad gave me a hose, a water hose. And he said, I'm going to leave the gate open so we can bring the cows back in, but there's a bull in there, and he can't get out. So it's your job to keep the bull in the pen. And I'm a little boy, like four years old. And he gives me a water hose. And so I said, okay. And I, I was pretty brave until the bull started to move towards me. And all of a sudden, that bull started walking towards me, and they're off doing something else, and I'm sure they forgot about me. I'm just here guarding this pen with this great big bull, and he's got this ring in his nose, and I think he was, I think he was really mean. Actually, it probably was Ferdinand, <laughs> the bull. Probably was the most gentle bull we had, probably the most gentle animal in the world. But to me, he was huge, and I'm sitting there with a hose, and he walked up, and I'm spraying him right in the face, keeping this bull up. And I was, by this time now, I'm crying. I'm really upset. I'm really thinking, Dad, you've really done it to me this time. I'm going to die. But I lived. I lived. And so I was faithful there because if I would have run, if I would have left my post and the bull would have gotten out, it would have made more work for them to fix, for them to gather all the cows. So my job was to stay. What's your job this morning? Where are you at this morning? Where has the Lord placed you this morning? Has he asked you to stay and guard the, guard the flock? Has he asked you to stay and guard the pen, maybe? And here's something else to consider. Because we have a tendency to always think the grass is greener on the other side, don't we? We always have the tendency to look at somebody else's situation and think, boy, if I only had their situation, if I could only be like them, if I could only be what they were doing, if I could only have their responsibilities, I would be so much better off. And let me ask you to consider this, that, that what you're doing right now may not be as bad as you think because you don't know what the Lord's going to ask you to do tomorrow. You don't know what other task he's got in front of you. So my recommendation is to stay steady where you're at. And to appreciate it and to learn to have a good attitude where you're at. To learn to say, thank you, Jesus. I'm here. I have a purpose. I have a cause. I know you haven't forgot about me. I know what I'm doing may not seem important to me right now. It may seem like there's somebody else doing a lot more work, a lot more uh, important things over there. But, Lord, I trust you. We learned that last week. The more I learn to trust God, the more he can trust me. I must be faithful with a little. And if my job right now is to guard this little pen, then I guard this little pen to the best of my ability, and I do with all the, all the gusto I can muster up. Do you remember a few weeks ago we had that video, Amats? Remember that? That was pretty bold, wasn't it? We have to have that. We have to have the Amats of God. We have to have the boldness of God, even in the little things that we do. Even in the little things that we do. And then keep a joyful heart as we go. Let's continue on. God used this element in last to teach me a most important principle. I began to grasp the absolute necessity to be quietly steadfast and faithful wherever he placed me. In a sense, these interludes in life were a test not only of my faithfulness to God, but also of his to me. It was hard to see that when I was learning to be steadfast, just where he put me. At such times, we do not have the greater view of the good shepherd. We do not see his hand at work. We are sorely tempted. We are sorely tempted to break faith and do things on our own. Let me just say something right now. 
Let's go back to what it said. In a, it said, I began, the author says, I began to grasp the absolute necessity to be quietly steadfast and faithful. Wherever God placed me, in a sense, these interludes in life were a test not only of my faithfulness to God, but also of his to me. Do you know that God wants to be tested by you? Do you know that not only is he testing you, but he's also saying, as Jim prayed about it at the offering today, we are to test God with our giving, aren't we? We're to test God with his faithfulness, with our tithes and our offering. As we test God in those areas, God will be faithful to us. He's a faithful God. He has, he's not a forgetful God. He doesn't put you someplace and then forget you. He puts you there so that you can then become steadfast. I like what Psalms did. And David said in Psalms 51, verse 10, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now understand what's happening here. David is, this is his lament. This is his prayer over his sin with Bathsheba. This is his calling out to God to say, God, I ran from you. I did things that you weren't pleased with. I did things of my own accord. I sinned greatly. But he comes back and he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew. Give me, God, a steadfast heart that I will not run away from you anymore that I will not willfully run into that sin anymore. That's what God does. He, he renews and he creates in us a steadfast heart. Then later on in Psalms 119, the psalmist says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Psalms 119, verses 5 through 8. Then I would not be put to shame. When I consider all your commands, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Do you see the theme throughout all of this? All of the lessons last learned about I obey, I delight in obedience, I see all that, I'm trusting you, and in all that, do not forsake me. Renew within, within, within me a steadfast heart. And the psalmist, once again, is seeing that a steadfast heart is the key to finding the blessings of God. A heart that wanders to and fro from fad to fad or from, from church to church or from ministry to ministry, a wandering heart is not a steadfast heart. A wandering heart is not the heart that's going to stay where God says stay so that God can bless. A heart that wanders, a heart that's chasing after a new thing all the time, is not being obedient to what God is saying. God is saying, I want you to stay. I want you to be where I place you. I want you to do what I ask you to do. I want you to be faithful in the tests that I want to work out in your life. And the quicker we learn to do that, the quicker the test can be over in many cases. How many times do you want to learn the same lesson? How many times do you have to be taught the same lesson? How many, I say this in a good way, how many spankings do you want to have before you're going to stop doing what you've been told not to do? Wouldn't it be nice just to have one discipline, area, action? Wouldn't it be nice to be spanked one time but then learn? And I'm not saying that God is spanking to hurt, but his discipline, though, is important for us to know. It's important for me to know. And then the psalmist says, if, if we go back to the preceding verses there in psalm, the same psalm, but look at the first four verses, verses 1 through 4. I'm kind of doing it backwards because, see, the psalmist says that here is what a steadfast heart sounds like. This is what a steadfast heart lives like. This is the blessing, the fruit of a steadfast heart. It says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless 
who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes, who have perseverance, who have a steadfastness in his statutes, and that seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts. They are to be fully obeyed. Can you see the psalmist here? What he's saying is those that are steadfast in heart, those that are willing to do as the Lord commands to do, those that are willing to be obedient and have delight in his obedience, I will bless you. You will be blessed in your ways, in your coming and your going, and you will have a faithful and steadfast blessing along with a faithful and steadfast heart. A blessed person and a blessed life. If that's the case, why wouldn't we be steadfast? Wouldn't it be foolish to be anything other than that? Do you want God's blessing in your life? Do you want God's direction in your life? Do you want to have God's assurance that he's there for you? Then be steadfast for him. Now, that's us proving our steadfastness to God. But now let's read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, that God is also steadfast to us. And it says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, in other words, if you have been steadfast, maybe in your suffering a little while, he himself, God himself, will restore you. He will restore you, and he will make you strong firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So yes, as God allows you to suffer, as he allows you to learn the lesson of being steadfastness, he then proves his steadfastness back to you by restoring you to a place where you need to be. Amen. That's a blessing. That is something that, that says that, Lord, even in the tough times, I know, I know they're coming, and I know you're going to be there, and I know that you're going to be steadfast, and you're going to create that with me. Amen. And that's something. It may require a sacrifice on our part to be steadfast. To be steadfast, to, to, to stay, may require you to suffer a little bit. It may require a sacrifice a little bit. But I'm telling you, folks, right now, I'm telling you right now with all the assurance of me standing here right now, it'll be worth it. That moment we talked about in Sunday school today, the twinkling of an eye when the rapture takes place, because it's going to, isn't it, Ron? It's going to take place. It's going to take place. And the moment it does, if you were steadfast, if you were holding true to him, believe me, it will be worth it that day for you. Amen? It'll be worth it. You'll be so happy you did. You'll be so happy that you did. It was hard to see then that I was learning to be steadfast just where God put me. At such times, we do not have the greater view of the Good Shepherd. We do not see his hand at work. We are sorely tempted to break faith to make the next move all on our own. It has often been said that almost any of us can be heroic, even daring in the midst of great excitement. But here it is, guys. This is it. This is where most of us spend most of our life. But it takes a much more steadfast faith in our Father to stay true in the quiet place where he puts us. It's in the daily duties of our little lives where God asks us to be loyal, steady friends. People who will perform their part without fanfare, those who can be trusted implicitly, implicitly to do their work, to do their duty. Christ will again make his presence apparent to us. He, he need not be grieved or disappointed. He can be given the great joy of finding us faithful in the place that he puts us. His measurement, this is really important, his measurement of our success does not lie in our spectacular activities. It lies in our quiet steadfastness for him. 
He does not expect us fully to understand his management of our lives, but he does ask us to stay true to him today. Wow, that is such a, there, I tell you, that will free you right there. You do not have to understand God's purpose for your life. Not only do you not have to, you probably will never understand it until you reach heaven, until we finally see him and we can talk to him face to face or we can look at it from the backwards. But here, God is he's giving us a lesson to say, you cannot understand me. You cannot grasp me. But trust me. Trust me and stand still in the times of the dry times, the quiet times. Those are the hard times. Now, I know that we have questions. And I know that we have a right to question God. You have a right to say, God, why? Why? Why is this happening? It's okay to ask God a question. But let me, let me tell you what you can't do. You cannot demand an answer. <laughs> you cannot demand an answer that's going to make you happy necessarily. You know, Job is probably the greatest example of a man that went through adversity. And Job had every right to ask God lots of questions. And listen, let's read what, what happened, what God's answer to Job was. And this might help us a little bit knowing where we're at in our life and how we can expect God to answer us. Job chapter 38 and I'm reading this in the contemporary English version. Job answered, or Job cried out to God, and here's what God said. From out of a storm, the Lord said to Job, Why do you talk so much when you know so little? Now get ready to face me. Can you answer the questions I ask? How did I lay the foundation for the earth? Were you there? Doubtless you, you know who decided its length and width. What supports the foundation? Who placed the cornerstone while morning stars sang and angels rejoiced? When the ocean was born, I set its boundaries and wrapped it in blankets of thickest fog. Then I built a wall around it, locked the gates, and said, Your powerful waves stop here. They can go no further. Did you ever tell the sun to rise and did it obey? Then he went on further in verse 16. He says, Job, have you ever, have you ever walked on the ocean floor? Have you seen the gate to the world of the dead? How, low, how large is the earth? Tell me if you know. I mean, so, so here Job was really getting after God a little bit about all Job's problems. Like we get after God sometimes in our problems. Then God comes back and he slaps you right in the face. And he says, do you know anything you're talking about? Do you have any idea who you're talking to? Do you ever, how, how, have you done anything? Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I set the foundations of this earth together? It just goes to remind us who we are. It goes to remind us who God is. And I think that we get the point here. And I think that what we're really supposed to do, we can ask God all the questions we want. But understand that we, don't, we will probably never grasp the fullness of what he has in our life. We cannot know his ways. We said last week that he has a better vantage point than us. He's a little bit higher in the cosmos than we are. He can see our life. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows our choices before we make them. He knows what road we should go down. Our job is to learn to trust him, isn't it? Our job is to learn to stay put. When he says stay, stay. When he says move, move. When he says go left, go left. Go right, go right. Patient. Be patient. And I really like what the author says about being spectacular. He says, His measurement of our success does not lie in our spectacular activities. We do not have to get all hyped up and emotional over God. 
even though we can and we should. He deserves it. But his measurement lies in our quiet steadfastness for him. Remember, he sees the heart of the matter. He does not expect us to fully understand his management of our lives. But he does ask us to stay true to him today. That's what it's all about. But then the story moves on. Lass had a lot of distractions. Two different areas of distractions came in Lass's life. One came from the crows. One came from outside of his control. These crows were living in a rookery just on the island, just outside of the their ranch. And, and every spring the crows would come and they would rear their young there. And, and these crows would fly around and it would be very distracting to Lass. And, and Lass would jump at them and, and they would distract him from his duties. And Lass would go running after the crows, totally being distracted by what he was supposed to do, totally wasting his energy, totally being taken off the task of what the master asked him to do. The master said, Lass, you take the sheep, and here comes a crow, and all of a sudden Lass is out chasing the crow because the distraction comes from the outside. That happens to us as Christians, folks. We get a lot of distractions that come from the outside that would want to take us away from focusing on what God wants us to do. And we're being reminded, don't chase it. Don't go after it. Let it go. Gossip. Slander. I gotta have the last word against somebody. Somebody comes and they wanna they wanna say something bad about you. Let it go. It's not worth it. Don't waste your time on it. Don't be distracted by the influences that come from the outside. Stay focused. Stay where I have you placed. Do what you're asking what I'm asking you to do. Love me, serve me. Take care of my flock with me. Let me take care of the external situations. Let me handle that, God says. You just do as I'm asking you to do. And then the other things that would come in the lass's life, in the fall, they would, they would clear land and they would have to burn brush. And, and in this, would create, they would burn huge um, bonfires. And this was also an area of distraction for lass. And those big bonfires would create embers that would float in the air and lass would go chasing after the embers. Again, distracting him. This was something that the farmer did. Now, see, some distractions come from within. Some come from within your own heart, your own soul, your own life that you need to take control of. See, the distractions that came for last chasing these fires, they were because the farmer made the fire. Sometimes we get stuck on the spectacular of the fire. Sometimes we want all the, the fanfare of all the emotionalism, and that becomes what we chase. We chase the emotionalism of the fanfare rather than the purpose of what God is asking us to do in a steadfast, quiet heart. And I know that that's sometimes that I have a problem with. This is one of my problems. This is one probably most Pentecostal people that have had experience with the power of God's work that we get caught up with the excitement of the Pentecostal experience. So that's all good. I don't say anything bad about it. It's awesome. It's important. It, you can't stop it. But that's not where the power is necessarily. The power is in the purpose of who made the fire. <laughs> who created the fire. He's where I have to stand. I need to focus on him, not on the embers that go flighting off because of the fire. I don't need to go chasing the fray of what that is. I need to focus in on who created the fire in the first place and what his purpose is, and I need to stay currently focused on Jesus. I need to make him the center point of my life every day, every, every moment, every, every activity. I must make sure that he is my focal point. 
And I must not just get distracted by the fanfare of all the emotional stuff. You know, the devil can work in that too. The devil can come like an angel of light. He can come in a, in a fanfare to, to wipe you out from being effective where God has asked you to be. So as we conclude this morning, we need to make sure that we stay clearly focused on God's word. The author said, without, duly, without being unduly critical, it is essential for each of us to examine our lives and ascertain what diverts us from the highest duties to which God calls us as his co-workers. Within the community of our churches, it is often the temptation to entertain rather than to edify God. It is the desire to amuse audiences rather than instruct them in God's word. Wow. That's not our plan this morning. We're not here to amuse people. I really pray, I really pray that everything that's said here is to edify you, to build you up in the, in the name of Jesus. Not only for this day, but that you would take this information that we're giving out and you, you would apply it Monday through Friday. I am so burdened with that. I, I am so concerned that we spend most time hyping us up on Sundays to send us out on Mondays unprepared, unthought out, unplanned. And that's a waste of time. Jackie, if you would come, please. It's not the spectacular for the sensational for which the Master looks. He seeks instead for me to simply be faithful wherever he places me in his all-wise plans and purposes. That's exactly what he has for you. That's exactly what he has for this church. So let me ask you this morning as we are preparing our hearts, can you say that in your life this morning that you really are purposed, purposed to love Jesus? I mean, is that really your purpose? Is that really why you're here? Are you committed to being faithful right now, right where you're at? Are you placing Jesus at the center point of your life? And are you doing everything you can to honor and obey him, even in the midst of a tough time? That's what the Lord's asking of us today. It's really that simple. We don't have to be any more extravagant than that. Amen. If you just close your eyes with me this morning. And just examine your heart with me. Examine it and, and just say, Lord, what is it that you really want me to do today? Am I being steadfast? I know that most of us in this church are. I, I'm so thankful for the remnant of this church. I'm so thankful for this core people that are such a sweet spirit. Boy, we had such a sweet spirit of family this morning, such a sweet family presence of the Lord, how he just was with us, and, and how the Lord is touching and moving in our midst, and how he's, he's growing us, healing us, making us full. But I challenge you this morning, are you letting God move in you? Are you moving out of your strength and into your weaknesses so that the Lord can strengthen your weaknesses too? Are you being faithful in the test of faithfulness? Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your promises to us. I thank you, Lord, that, that you give us the assurance that you've never forgotten about us. 
Lord, even in the midst of a tough time, even in the midst of a struggle that, that may come from without, out of our control, some things have just come our way that we, we don't have any control over. There's a lot of things in life that come at us that way. There's a lot of issues in life that come at us that we have no control over. We didn't ask for it. We weren't looking for it, and we don't want it. But, Lord, maybe there's some testing there for us. Maybe you're trying to glean out some, some stuff in our life. Maybe you're trying to sift us. Lord, if so, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would see the lessons. Lord, for those things inside of us that come up from our own desires, our own desire to want to control our life. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would free us from our own bondages. Free us from our own self-will. Free us from our own desire to be in control. Help us, Lord, to really trust you, as we talked about last week, as we mentioned, as we discussed. Lord, that we would really trust you. And as we trust you, you can give us more blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for being steadfast for us. We worship you, Father. We worship you in Jesus' name. Let's sing a song as we go, Jackie. And I uh, just want to bless you this week. Have a great week. Let the Lord work on your heart and just bless you with so many good things he has in store. Amen. Let's, let's just worship him as we leave this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my desire to honor you, Lord. give you my heart. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, Give